I'll do it. Um, uh, this is an interview with uh, Roy Paradovich, and uh, I'm Don Mitchell, and we're in Juneau. And I guess maybe the beginning would be to maybe give me some information about yourself, like when and where you were born, and how you grew up, and things like that. My name is Roy Paradovich Sr. I was born at Tawak, a little village. I attended grade school there. And since we, we didn't have a high school when I was ready, you know, I went to the government boarding school in Chamao, Oregon. I we spent four school years. When I say school years, we used to come back up and fish. Those days we paid our own fare to Seattle and then bum rights or so down to, to Chamao, Oregon. Did. It took, took a long time to realize that there was First class passage besides steerage. That's the way we used to travel because we didn't have the money. So then I decided to move up from Jamal, and then my last two years I spent at Kesskin. Went to high school, graduated from there. I worked my way through those two years. I worked at the Pickle Wiggle store. Those of you don't see them anymore, <laughs> but uh, it's amusing. When I think of it, that I was getting ten dollars a week working at the store. I used to put up the, the vegetables in the morning, seven thirty, and then go to school eight thirty, three thirty. I'd come back and help fill orders and so forth. But it was quite an experience. And after I went to Bellingham Normal for a while. So I'd become a teacher and realized I didn't have the temperament, so I don't know that, but I, I went broke those days. You didn't have educational loans or grants. When you were broke, you were broke, so at the same time, my wife would be, she and her family couldn't support her anymore on that school year, so. Now somebody told us the two can live as uh, cheap as one, but found out that it's not, that's not true. <laughs> it's expensive, so we got married. So then I came to Tawak. Now, what what year would you have gotten married to? 1931. Mm -hmm. And oh, I, I and what year were you born? Do you what's that? What the year that you were born? I don't think you mentioned that. What year was I born? Mm -hmm. 1910, mm -hmm. uh, May first. So okay. Also, the other the other question I had: um, How many other kids in Tawak? Um, got to go on past grade school. Were, were you an exception, or were there many kids no, going to Chamao? There were quite a few of us. At one time, going to Chamao, there were 17 of us. So, so it varied, you know. So you know, we didn't have the money to attend uh, school and catch kids, and, and so at least we had free lodging at uh, Chamao. The only expense we went through was buying our own clothes and paying our fare on a, on a, one of those, I'll call them cramp ships now, half freighter and half passenger. Mm -hmm. Well, so then you and Elizabeth got married in 1951? I'm, I'm sorry, you and Elizabeth got married in 1931, is that right? I, when, I was just trying to pick up from, when did you say that you and Elizabeth got married? What year? I, uh, I'm 31, I was busy around so I was trying to uh, make a living. I 
during that period of time, I, I found I could learn. I wanted to be a captain. In those days, it was good money, you know, fish packers and and all too. I guess I was like to stick my head out of a pilot house window and give orders. <laughs> no, it was a good paying job, so I took a took a, a little trading on a missionary boat called the Princeton. I think it's Princeton Hall or Princeton up again. Uh, the minister on there, Swanson, was a noted navigator. So, so I spent three months with him, uh, close to four months, and, and learning navigation. That helped me. I, I always say people talk about working for the Lord. I did. I was getting $20 a month. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd been for my in-laws, my wife, and we had the boy, Roy Jr. Now he has an engineering firm. Uh, I stayed with them at Petersburg. That's uh, after I learned that I got began to get jobs as a fish packer captain. Then uh, I was appointed postmaster, which gave us a little income, but my wife handled it while I worked on boats, so we, we, did, we did all right. Then I got elected to my first term as Grand President in 1940. Well, actually, let me back up a second. When did you first join the A&B? 1935. 1935. I, I, have, I still have that first card. <laughs> I paid only $3. I didn't have the $6. <laughs> right. Six were tough those days. Right, so you would have been about 25 then when you first, mm. you would have been about 25 years old when you first joined A and B? I forgot what I'm so old about that, but right. that was the first time I joined it. And then they elected me to local president a couple of times and in the 1940 convention. <coughs> I had no idea that, that women crazy food would nominate me. Who, who nominated you? I forgot, some mm. young fellows. They nominated me to uh, as a candidate for a grand president. Turned out that the opposition was Louis Paul, William Paul's brother. Mm -hmm. A powerful man to beat. My poor wife was carrying our, the girls in, and she told me, she you better decline. I said, no. You not only embarrass me, but you're going to embarrass the family here, and your own family. I told her, well, you know, so I reminded her, when he first came back from school, I was busy working. Any, anybody had a job to dig a ditch at 50 cents an hour, I took it, you know, to make money. <laughs> he used to say, you better help your people, this is your people. And uh, so uh, I said, you preach that to me. I didn't ask for this, they nominated me. I'm not going to withdraw. I said, I'll see what happens. Well, now, there was, I guess there had been a lot of controversy at that point about the Indian Reorganization Act and... Oh, yes, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the two Paul brothers were on op opposite sides. Uh, Louis, who I defeated, uh, was afraid that that Indian Reorganization Act under that section that empowered the Secretary of Interior to set up reservations, that uh, his argument was also that it corralled us, you know, that we wouldn't, 
wouldn't be able to move out of that circle and that's the BIA agent gave us permission. There's a strong argument and they're scaring people. Sure. He tried to get me to side in with him. Now I didn't ask to be in those positions. Right. Now what, what, did, what did William think of reservations? Did he have a different view? Well at the time uh, I wasn't too sure but on being a Monday morning quarterback, if we had, if those reservations were set up, some of them were real good. Uh, all these big land claims would have been avoided. So. Like, for instance, Shugnack, it had the largest. Right. But at the time, Governor Greening, as sympathetic as he was on our discrimination, he was deadly against such reservations. So he sent Bill Bells up there, to being an Eskimo, to talk his people into turning it down. They turned it down. So. Right. So, uh, now, were you at the uh, 1929 um, no, convention? No, that, that was before your time. But I was told that the man that really pushed it up to that point prior to the 1929, it was another Tlingit or Hyde or Simpson, Peter Simpson. Right. He, was, he married to a Tlingit woman from Sitka. And uh, I facetiously always say, well, he picked a smart thinking woman. She really educated him. <laughs> but he, uh, he pushed, he said, he, folks, uh, he was a wise old man. He folks are going to lose your land and people are moving in, do something. So in my keynote address to one of those conventions, I, I recommended strongly that he's a picture of him be placed in the conspicuous place there because he, he was the one who got us started. Right. Well, he's in the conference room. I mean, he he's in the conference room. Well, no, I wanted him as you uh, get in that uh, mm -hmm. entrance there. You know, mm -hmm. I really concerned him. Mm -hmm. I'd get the first place. Well, actually, that, that reminds me of something I've, I've actually forgot to ask, and that is, do you have have uh, any information from talking with Peter Simpson and others about how A and B got founded back in 1920? Oh, I mean, have you ever, did you ever have a chance to talk with Peter Simpson and others about how A and B got started back in 1912? No, I didn't have the privilege of getting really acquainted with uh, Peter, Peter Simpson. He died uh, either before or just after I was elected. See, I served for five successful terms. I'm the only candidate that has been re-elected by acclamation four times. They wanted me to run for the sixth time and I told my wife nobody's that good. Even, <laughs> you, even your friends get tired of it. Right, now did so I declined and I supported Al Whitmore. Mm -hmm. Now, did when you were president of A and B, did was that a salaried position? Did you get paid no. for that at all? Or no, we, we had to use what little money we had when we when we lobbied for the, the anti-discrimination bills. Now, how we kept Clickenhider uh, alive? I don't know if I mentioned that. After I became grand president, uh, Andrew Hope was. Elected president of the Frank Johnson secretary. So they both approached me and said, let's, let's come to some agreement. So we're all 
one of the same people. I said, we can all get together at the A and B meeting. We get shoes there, put another hat on, then we'll be clicking hide I said, why don't we start having the A and B and Angels delegates also delegated by their villages as their representative to Clinton Hyder. Well, that's, that's what makes sense. I went along with it. So during the week of our convention, we'd give them all over to uh, nothing else to do then but just to give a progress report. So I ended re-elect officers. That's how we aim we kept it alive. We could have been the Central Council. In fact, I didn't advocate it. William Paul and them did that they didn't be designated the Central Council. But we ran into this problem. We have a provision in our Constitution which uh, requires uh, $12 membership dues. That knocked us out internally. So, so. Well, now, when, when you took over as Grand President in 1940, at that point the, the suit could have been filed for five years and there had been no no suit filed. What was the problem with that? With that? How come the, the land claim suit had not been filed by the time you took over? Was was that a problem of getting attorneys or what? We had we had on that there was a problem there. Uh, in 1938, I am in the conflict with one of the fellows who, in his late years, wants to be remember for something he hadn't done, you know, you know what, mm -hmm. as you grow older, I've never looked for uh, uh, rewards or honors, if it's given me, fine, I don't give it, you have work to do, do it, so, so uh, that's the way I've operated, but everything I have, it's recorded, my son and his daughter, we worked it for me, and now we have, oh no, oh, all the information I saved on anti-discrimination in a book, I call it a book form, that uh, Bruce Leaf deal, you know, mm -hmm. pictures, articles, letters. Uh, he made enough that he gave one to the governor of Alaska, one to the state library here, and one up at uh, Anchorage. So this is recorded as what we had to do to get that. Well, anyway, uh, the problem they were having was on 38, that uh, people couldn't agree on who attorneys would be, excuse me. William Paul's sons had just received their, uh, their law, passed their law exam, or whatever you call it. Uh, he wanted them, although we had no experience, he wanted them to hit well, a lot of our people wisely, so said they didn't have the experience, nor did they have the money. So William Paul came forth and concocted this idea that unless you pay $10 each, you're not going to benefit. And that's where he and I parted company. That was his opposition, I guess. He, he built me up to it himself. He used to attack me for no reason. People begin to wonder who is this group of opera. So, uh, uh, so this held up the whole thing. 
1940, when I was elected in November, he, he got elected as grad secretary. Mm -hmm. In January, we were invited by BIE to Washington to see if we'd get the land claims off that center. Uh, so we went down the first part of January at government expense. Unfortunately, we were there three weeks before the historic event that happened there. Uh, inaugurating uh, Roosevelt's uh, third term, you know, that, that was a big deal, those things. So uh, we had a hard time getting a hotel. We finally found an old one near the White House. I even forgot the name of it. I think it was built right after the Civil War, but it's very old. And the only room we could get was in a basement. It was clean. Uh, the sad part about a double bed. <laughs> he, he and I used to argue before the committee all day, then we'd sleep together. And then we would allow three meals a day, that's no other expense. And one time, William Paul told me, he says, we can beat this, Roy. What do you mean? I says, we, we'll start claiming four meals, the extra meal we'll use for We both liked wrestling matches. Uh, the first time we submitted our general superintendent, who is now known as our director of SPAC, mm -hmm. the voucher department hit the ceiling, they called him, and they said, they man with this Indian symbol, we only allowing three meals to everybody, but they're claiming four. Our general superintendent got the script immediately, and he says, oh, he says, that's nothing. He says, those Alaskan Indians eat three, four, five, six meals a day, think nothing. So, so we got by. So my wife and I talked it over. We're not going to do our people any good living in Tawak because you're isolated. Well, I, well, let me ask: how, how long did you spend back on this trip in Washington D.C.? Did Did you get anything settled? Six. Yeah, six. Okay, we were there for. But six weeks altogether. We contacted different attorneys, and we uh, we didn't know who to contact. But the list was made up by the bureau. No, I'm listing attorneys that were successful, you know. And we ran a. They referred us to Greedy Lewis. He was part uh, state Indian from Oklahoma. He was very successful in the land claim. So we talked to him, and he immediately agreed to say, "Okay, I'll, I'll take this. Uh, you don't have to worry about raising money. I have the funds." So I guess he was pretty well. Well, things things were we thought were going pretty good until William Paul told him that he wanted his oldest son to be the chief attorney in Alaska representing him, and Randy Lotus says, no, so if I need an attorney, I'll get it. So, so Randy Paul won't give, so Randy Lewis just withdrew. He says, no, I have to deal with it. In the meantime, we were referred to Cobb, Weisbro, and Weisbro. Uh, Lefty had a brother, Abe, and also uh, three of them were in together. We went to talk to them, and I immediately spotted that uh, Cobb didn't show too much interest. I 
you could tell in on people's angry reactions. But Lefty was, he was all ears ready. So shortly thereafter, their firm broke up, Cobb left them, and so ended up having uh, Lefty Weisbro and his brother handled it. In the interim, though, but we were without an attorney, Ruth Bronson, who's a party state and a really sharp woman, representing NCEI. They had an attorney we were talking about at that office. I can't think of his name. No, Jim Curry. Jim Curry. It's funny you get me reached by age, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well, let me actually, let me back up a second. So you interviewed a number of people on this trip to Washington. Yeah. And then you came home, and at that point, did you think, <clears throat> did everyone think that Grady Lewis was going to be representing you, or when did he when did he, he representing? He was due right off the bat. Right off the bat. Yeah. Because because I know at one point I that's guess, the reason we went to Cobb Weisbro and Weisbro. So. Okay, because I know at at one point the the Paul brothers did file a a petition that I know was was turned down by the court. Do you remember that at all? Well, when he couldn't get his sons to represent the Lincoln Tyler, they filed their own son. But uh, everybody knew they'd never get to first base. So you couldn't couldn't uh, condemn him too much because he wanted his sons to get there. But which we don't have anything, no experience, no use trying. So. But uh, in the interim, we Bruce Bronson said we we could uh, have the service of, uh, of Jim Curry. Right now, how did you first meet Ruth Bronson? Did she write you, or did you hear about NCI? No, we met her, but she came up to try to help organize different things for NCI. She and my wife were real close friends, so that's how she got interested. So, so she told us then that uh, we have an attorney we we can help. He could have uh, been. Our attorney to write all the way through, but I think I mentioned in my letter or to you that he had worked previously in the solicitor's office, and he apparently stepped on some sensitive toes, and those fellows were paying him back everything he proposed, good or bad. They were throwing up roadblocks. In addition to that, Governor Green, who didn't believe too much in our land sales, our delegate to Congress, Bartlett, and you, Wade, who was area director of three of a kind. They picked on Jim Corris so much you couldn't get anywhere, you know. Huh. That's the reason I think you you mentioned it when I talked to you that at, uh, oh, is there somebody else that Ketchikan, our A&B convention, Governor Greening, Delegate Bartlett, and you, Wade, attend. Came to our executive committee meeting. Our executive committee meeting was with our attorney. So he was going to brief us, bring us up to them. But you know, the minute he opened his mouth, the three of them would jump him. But it was our meeting. So I. And of course, William Paul hated their guts, you know. But anything to, sh to show his disapproval of what I do, in a way. So I finally said, this is supposed to be our meeting with our attorney. Now we've been here for over an hour. We're not getting anywhere except throwing things at one another. So I'm going to make a motion that the governor and 
our delegate and air director be excused. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't go over very good. The only one who voted against my motion was William Fong. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, um, I guess you ended uh, your presidencies of of A and B in 1945, and was that about the time that you went to work for the bureau? How, when, when did you go to I work? Started working for the bureau in 46 mm -hmm. in September. Prior to that, I was working the territorial treasurer's office. I started as a file clerk, license officer, chief enforcement officer, chief tax collector, and I was the first director for land registration. So, you know, patent and lands had not been registered up to that time. About that time, BIA was after me then, because they were calling me all the time on different things, so the area director called me. We've got a job coming up, it says, we want you. I says, uh, so I asked him, what's, what's the basic salary? So I told him, hell, I'm a director, uh, my own boss, and I make the same money, it'd be foolish for me to quit. And from a job at the basement of thing. Well, give us two, three days. A couple of days later, I got a call and said they upped it. So I couldn't turn it down. Now, was, this, was this Don Foster or who was? Yeah, Don Foster. Was Don Foster? Yeah, he was the one. Yeah. I'm glad I listened to him. He told me about that, that time I, when I became a director of land registration, I could feel the political pressure. I got the indictors said, the governor Green again, anyway, so it's time to get away. He, he failed to file his uh, registration form uh, before the deadline. The law is very specific that a late file is five dollars. So mind you, over five dollars. He, mm -hmm. he didn't want to pay it. He was two days late. This is on his taxes? No, greeting. Right, but on Greening's taxes, or what, what was the registration form for? Registering his patent land. Oh, 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 okay. So, uh, Burke Riley, who, you know him? Mm -hmm. sure. He brought it in. <laughs> Tell him I'm not going to get accepted. It's my job, I hate to do it, but I need to take it back to him. Unless there's a $5 attached, I'm not going to accept it. Well, then they're. Ralph Rivers, who was Attorney General, then he, he talked to me. I played it safe. I didn't know this was going to develop, but about a week before that, I discussed it with uh, Ralph. I said, uh, I guess the law, there's no leeway for anyone that may be uh, late in filing. And you're right, I said. If they don't file on time, they have to pay that penalty. So after the governor raised hell with me, he, uh, he says, Roy, I think the old man has a point. I says, oh, bullshit. I'll tell him. <laughs> I'm going to go by your first opinion. So, so he paid the $5, but I lost a friend. Oh, he did everything under the sun to murder me. And then that's when I decided. And Don Foster had a real fatherly talk with me. He's still the young Roy says, you have no future up there. I said, you're at the top level, but they're going to cut your throat. Here you'll be, be under civil service. You'll have retirement. And I'm enjoying it. So 
That's the reason I know of an awful lot to Don Foster. Now, what was Don Foster's attitude about all this? Was he in favor of reservations or was supportive of land? Well, he was in a, in a sort of a peculiar spot. He, uh, we never got into detail on that, but I, he respected my position. That he knew that I'm an Indian and that's, I'm going to represent our Indian people. I don't think I ever detected that he was against it, nor was he advocating because on big items, you know, as well as I do, that direction, direction comes from the top. So whatever they do, I mean, whatever the bosses think, he has to carry it out. So we didn't have any problems with that. Because huh. the reason I asked is, you know, he, he got accused of uh, of having gone over to Heidelberg and encouraging people to vote for the reservation, you know. I was the one that went there. I was uh, delegated to attend it. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know when he went there, but he may have about it, but uh, he sent me down there, so. Uh, at no time did we ever say, uh, go for the reservation or go against it. We try to be fair in giving information <coughs> on both sides. So I was extra careful on that. So. Right. Well, but the, the opposition uh, preach this. You folks are going to be corralled in an area that you cannot leave unless you get a permission from BIA representatives. Right. Well, that, as you said, that was a pretty strong argument, and that's certainly a lot yeah. of the trouble. Just, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't tell them. So I didn't blame our people. They, they were definitely, right. they didn't want to, Heidelberg would have been genuine about a choice of spots. They wouldn't have not been experiencing what they're experiencing now. That they got caught short on a lot of things. So. Right. Now, you went to work for the Bureau in, in what, October of 46. Now, did, did I went in, in September 46. Oh, September 46. Now, September 16th, I'll remember that. Right. Now, shortly thereafter was when Ruth Bronson made her first trip up, right? And did, did you travel with her? Um, up to Haines and those places, yeah. Right. What was, what was, was she, what was she doing on that trip? Just explaining the uh, implications on that. Uh, on the bill, no, I traveled with her. Mm -hmm. um, and and she was the person that suggested that Jim Curry might be someone who could. She didn't say you folks should have. We have an attorney that could help you folks. So that's the way she approached us. So. Mm -hmm. And those of us that met Jim Curry was impressed with his uh, sincerity and. How much background he had, I don't know, but he apparently knew what he was doing. So. Did did he come up then to visit William and meet Paul, with you? I mean, uh, he came up, and William Paul just was like those pit bulls, you know, after him all the time. So. He couldn't say a thing in public, but what William Paul was barking at. Him, so. And this would be because Paul viewed that he was going to be taking away some of his power, do you think? or Because he... Jim would never would hire, wouldn't hire his son, so his whole thing was trying to get his sons in on that. So. 
Well, what was what can you tell me about Jim Curry? Was he remember what he, do you remember what he looked like or how he acted? Was he loud or did he have a good sense of humor or what kind of? Who was Jim? Jim. He was the smooth operator. He was very polite, as as uh, heated as William Paul was with him. He never once raised his voice. He was a gentleman. So. Hmm. I never. I can't think of any any time where he raised his voice or shoot shoot back again. He could have, but he politely answered Paul. So hmm. he knew his law. So. Well, now um, um, I know that in uh, what was it? I guess '49 and '50, when the first statehood bills were going on, that um, there was an attempt. I guess that that Bartlett made to like compromise land claims in the statehood bills. Do you remember that at all? That I don't recall that. I, I really don't. See, I, where was I? I had a fellowship. I took education to leave for a year. And I was stationed in Oklahoma for over two years and so forth. So there are periods of time where I'm not about to guess and tell you about right. that, unless I don't know. Right. Well, do you remember when you left then on that fellowship? Um, when? I remember that. Uh, I received fellow two two fellowships. Uh, one was from the United Nations. I'm the first Alaskan to receive it. In fact, there was only two. The second one went to the Department of Botany for Education. Mm -hmm. I uh, that was. Uh, I think it's 52 or 53 in that period. At the same time, I received one from uh, John Hay Whitney Foundation to study banking. Mm -hmm. I was interested in cooperatives, credit unions, under the United Nations, so I was sent up to Nova Scotia. That's where I studied. So. And for my bank training, I went to Denver at the Central Bank and Trust Company. So. Mm -hmm. In that respect, Bruce Bronson was very instrumental in getting me in there. So the bank was so got enthusiastic about the whole thing that uh, they just treated me like one of the uh, employees. In fact, when they gave out bonus on Christmas, they gave me a check, mm -hmm. and I'm supposed to be just a student. The university decided not to charge me anything. Courses were outlined from me by the bank that would fit into my training. But we didn't charge a penny for that. Hmm. Hmm. That's great. Well, now, w one thing, uh, when you were still A&B president, I noticed that it was in 1944, I guess, that Andrew Hope and was it uh, Frank Johnson were the f were both elected to the legislature that year? I, I forgot what year, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it was 1944. Yeah. Now, do you recall how that happened? Did everyone at A&B get together at all and decide that they were going to elect these guys? Or did you yes, uh, the A&B supported them. I remember on Frank Johnson, uh, he replaced Frank Price. Frank Price had been elected, but he died before he served. So we went here in executive committee and uh, we have authority in between conventions right. on the emergency, so we we all supported Frank Johnson. There were several of us Democrats on that committee, but we 
That's the way we operate in our own membership. We we don't care what party you belong to as long as you remain in business. Right. No, it was Frank Johnson a Republican then? Yes. Uh -huh. and, and was Andrew Hope was a Democrat? Democrat. Uh -huh. Okay. okay well, also, um, um, you don't, I mean, A and B didn't, other than supporting them, did, did you engage in any attempt to, like, organize the villages to get out the vote? Or we were like a that? campaign, but of course we were, we were not that sophisticated, but word of mouth and that's about the way we handled it. So. And the beauty of it at that period of time, too, we had the balance of power. We either go with labor or capital, where, we, where our, our place was with labor. Mm -hmm. but at that time, AFN and AFM, EFL, and uh, what's the other one? CIO? Yeah. They were competing to get A and B to go with them. So we got good support from both sides. Well, that's good. Now, um, what was um, what was your assessment of William Paul Jr. as a lawyer? Did those? I mean, I know they wanted to be involved in A and B activities. Did, well, uh, did they have a different reputation than their father, or how did that work? It was hard to overcome their dad. He, uh, no matter what the boys did, and almost speaking very. Frankly and honestly, he dominated his children, he, although they were over 21. His his son Fred and I were classmates at Ketchikan High School, so uh, I hate to say this about him, but that uh, William Paul, even when his son was having a time trying to make both ends meet, we used to pay our grand secretary 125. He wanted it, you know, and we supported him. But the old man ran against his own son. No, his son needed the money. He came to our uh, room at Ketchikan for the Rev Convention. Bill Paul, my wife and I, and had a retired. It was about midnight. He called up and said, "I just have to talk to you." But Perfell came in crying. He felt that bad. His father knew he needed the money, but he said, "Not you beating me running against your own son." What, what what year would that have been? I think it's the Africa. No, the years getting me now, so I don't even forget what year that was. But it would have been the the Ketchikan Convention Ketchikan. while you were president, though. No, I wasn't president at that time. Somebody else was serving. I forgot to. It's either. Walter's Oboe, I forgot, I forgot to. No, I wasn't served, I served only. But it was after, it was after you served. Yeah, it was after that, yeah. Okay, well, would that have been, did, did William need the money too? I mean, what was, hmm? did William Paul need the money as much as, as William Jr. did, do you think, or? Well, he, uh, his wife was teaching. I don't know whether he had any money or not, but uh, he liked the owner. And he liked the position of man secretary because he, he could write anything right. he wants, so propaganda. That's how he attacked me when he first came back from school. I was busy working at the walk trying to get a few dollars. Pretty soon circulars were calling it to our attention where William Paul was attacking me. I didn't know the man. 
My wife, being the minister's daughter, was real upset. She says, Roy, we'll have to stop him. I told him, don't worry. I said, I don't mind. I said, that's the cheapest publicity I'll ever receive. <laughs> I said, the people don't know me. He's going to build me up here just watch them. So he, people begin to question, who's that crazy part of it? Huh. Well, that's surprising that he would have. Why do you think he would have done that? To, hmm? Why do you think he would have done that? To, uh, since you obviously were. I don't know. I still can't figure out. But they all treated me as though I, I had something to offer. I, I, I never pushed myself. I, his brother was after me, Louis, to side in with him. Uh, I never asked anybody to or tried to impress people. I. I knew my own limitations. I learned the hard way. I listened to people such as you, good background. I try to pick up things from here and there, so I read an awful lot. And, and so I know my limitations. So. I did take a lot of LaSalle. I paid up for it for three years. Sounds like bragging, but I was pulling straight A's at my. When my wife came down with cancer, when that happened, I just felt lonely. The world collapsed around me, so I just dropped it. Worst thing I could have done. Okay. But I think I would have been the poorest attorney because I can't charge anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, um, were you? I know in the in 1944 was the year that they had the hearings on Heidelberg and. And cake and cloak. Yeah. Uh, were you involved in that at all? Did you go to any of the hearings? Oh, just cloak, and it, uh, I, I didn't go to cake. And cloak and and Heidelberg. It was really amusing at cloak. We were playing it smart by. Uh, I was still with the cloak group then, you know, so mm -hmm. using a. Some of those older fellows who, who could uh, understand English can speak it. We drilled them with, don't pretend you understand English. We'll have an interpreter, so we, we all had to be careful. Of <coughs> we had one of them fellow up there, his name was Fred Thomas. He'd speak fluently almost in those and understand. And Judge Arnold, you remember him? Mm -hmm. Oh, W.C. Arnold? Yeah. Right. Uh, of course, representing Kansas, he was questioning. You know, of course, Fred Thomas was answering through interpreter, but W.C. Arnold knew he's better. <coughs> so, so during a recess when everyone was marching out, he caught up with Fred Thomas. Well, Fred, how are you doing? Oh, Mr. Arnold, I'm doing all right. <laughs> He was telling me he couldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty funny. Uh, what was? What did you think of of W. C. Arnold? What was? Hmm? Uh, Bill Arnold was he a dominant? He was a figure? very fair person. He had a job to do, but he didn't go beyond it. He wasn't nasty. He was a clever fellow. He'll be smiling at you, still pull your leg for you, and so he was smooth. I liked him because uh, although he didn't have to, when we were having trouble with our anti-discrimination bill, he called me and said, Roy, 
I'm going to change that amendment for you folks. If you have it that way, you're not going to get the first place. It didn't weaken the, uh, it was on school matters. It didn't weaken the bill, but it made, made it, I guess, flat the bully, we may call it, for those that opposed it. So. But he was left like that. Hmm. I don't know, I was tax collector. He found out I was going to Bristol Bay. He says, I'll make arrangements for you to stay in the Red Salmon Cannery. So that's a big place for me. So. But he was like that. He, he never was once nasty. So. Oh, it's just business. Just business. Hmm. A hard man to, even though he, he throws some hard rocks, he's still doing it in a graceful, you know, real, real smoothly. Hmm. Well, now, um, um, what can you tell me about George Folta? I know that he was, he was the fellow that was the judge yeah. that threw out the Heidelberg Reservation. Yes, uh, um, well, unfortunately, you know, I, I like George Folta. I mean, I liked him. He was my, I think I'm the only, I was told, individual that never sees me. He all calls me into his private chamber, you know, when he's been courting the concession. And he'll tell me funny things that happen in court, you know, I guess a lot of things do happen. And he just roar, laugh, at about those things. But he always treated me good. But he, uh, he disliked William Paul as a passion, you know. He, just, he said William Paul is such a damn crook, he should have been behind bars, you know, but, but stuff like that. But uh, the biggest mistake he made, he was criticized for it, not too much so. H.L. Faulkner, you know, that mm -hmm. journey, he was, was uh, opposing everything Indian, you know. But when that case was up, he and the judge used to contract once together. He didn't look good to anybody, everybody. That's the only fault I had with Stuart Fault. My understanding of a situation such as that is a judge doesn't go out with anybody. But he was having a with Falcon or kind of this. Right. Well, did, did, do you get the feeling that he was sort of anti-reservation or anti-native before? My guess is, uh, although he covered up, he was anti-native, I think, I'm pretty sure he was. And then the case could have been better handled. Pat Gilmore was uh, just an attorney, and he's the uh, assistant of the Ed Murdy's. It had just gotten the green, greenhorn, you know, didn't know a thing about it. But when that case came up, for a debate in court, Pat took off on vacation. He left. That's how he was badly beaten. Ed Murdis didn't know enough about it. He did his best, but he was no match for Arnold and those guys. Right. No, I've I've read the transcript of that trial, and, and Bill Arnold really does just tie him up in knots. <laughs> yeah. you know? He's um, smooth, you know. So. Yeah. Well, he was a lot more. You know, he'd been practicing law for 20 years at that point, as opposed yeah. to Murdis. Um, now, did uh, somebody tell me that Pat Gilmore's had a cousin or a brother in town who was a, a fish lawyer or a cannery lawyer? Do you who? Pat, Pat Gilmore's cousin or brother. Was there another Gilmore in town that was a lawyer? No, no. There was another Gilmore, younger one, that came up, but I'm not related to. Mm. Pat Hunt had, had only one. She called me this morning. Oh, did she? Yeah, I, said, I sent her a copy of your letter to shoot. 
I underlined the, the, the first paragraph, and, and she said, "You know Jonah." He said, "She says he's he's there in your juvenile She's your nice girl. <laughs> oh no, she's I've worked with her at AFN, you know, for years. Yes, and, so, uh, that's what she says. And she she's the one told me about that other case coming up. So. Right. Um, well, let's see. As, as long as I have you, um, how about telling me a little bit about the anti-discrimination? case. Could you maybe go back and, and tell me a little bit more about Elizabeth, uh, where she was from, and yeah. that sort well, of thing? Elizabeth was born in Petersburg and grew up in Sitka. Uh, she went and graduated. We graduated together from Ketchikan High School, and then we, we tried Bellingham normal until we went broke. So. Okay, but that, the two of you met when you were yeah, in high so, school at Ketchikan? Yeah. So, uh, she, uh, when after I first got elected, I, I told you, we decided if we're going to be of any help to our people, we can't stay at the because you're isolated, more or less. Now you got TV and everything. So I applied for every job that I heard was opening. I finally got a job as file clerk in the treasurer's tra 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 office, 150 a month. <laughs> and I had to three children and a wife to support. So we came up with just anything to get started, but we put up a lot of food. My wife was a good manager. And we put up a lot of meat, fish, and all that. Oh, that cut down on your... Things were kind of cheap in those days, so... So that's how we came. The first thing we noticed here was... Now, we what, what year did you come to Juno then? What? 1941. 1941. We uh, saw these signs. Uh, on the South Franklin, and um, had no natives allowed. We catered to white trade only. Some places went more, more insulting. This is uh, no dogs nor Indians allowed. You know, when we saw that. We decided and over in Douglas, that uh, Italian place, not not Mike. Mike never was. He never discriminated. Found out that I never did pinpointed there, but somebody told us that he and my dad, our dad, was, were shirt-tail cousins from Yugoslavia. So. But a few times when we used to go across with my wife, uh, he used to treat us to steak, so, stuff like that. He was really a kind man. You had those signs all over here, and we called on the governor, asked for his help. So he says, I'm going to contact the uh, proprietors. He did, and I guess they all, some of their nose at him, so. So uh, they even blackballed him from Elks when he applied for membership because he was sticking up for Indians. And this would still have been in 1941? Yeah, yeah. And we couldn't even push the button on that Elks Hall for those days. Well, anyway, uh, so, uh, he called us in again. He said, "Let's have to go. Legislation is the only thing I can see." He says. So he suggested we contact our delegate to Congress, Anthony Diamond. You know, he's well thought. Asked him to see if he can collect copies of anti-discrimination, no matter how weak it may be, to give us an idea. So he sent us 26 from 26 to a week. So just. It's just to say that we have ended, but 
but we picked up good ideas from that, and uh, that's how we had that. In 1943, those days, in the territorial days, the legislature met every other year, and they had only, let's see, eight senators and, and 16 representatives. They met for 60 days. We had that introduced in 43, and uh, when I say it attracted all state attention, it would be understatement of the year. A feeling against, and mind you, we were at war, our boys were mm -hmm. shedding blood, but they treated us that way. Who, who introduced the bill for you? Did you have, who introduced the bill for you in the legislature? Did you have some, who, who was the, um, the legislator that introduced the bill. Did you Anderson, have some? Uh, Was he from down from here? Rome. No, no. Well, anyway, uh, talk about your opposition. You had fellows like Angela Faulkner, who was supposed to be a church pillar, you know, a good attorney. I couldn't. I couldn't believe my ears when he testified against us. My wife and I were the only two. I contacted one or two of our own people. William Paul laughed at me over the phone. I called him if he could help us. We don't need it. We can walk up. So. Another one that swallows over off the He smilingly and politely says that he was a minister then. You know. But if we'd only stepped up on that witness, and a lot of people admired him, it would have helped us a great deal. Now, did, was, he, was he, William... He and I had it out the other day about it. He wrote to me saying that he too testified, so I used his own letter and sent it, but you ought to see the way he spelled my name, insulting. So I spelled his name too, Z-A-B-O-L-L-F-F. -L <laughs> Now, now, was William Paul subjected to that kind of discrimination? I mean, were well, they didn't care. They lived under it. You'd be surprised how many of our people here paid no attention to, but it was just insults. Some of these places, like the Baranoff Hotel, my wife and I were never turned down. It would have been easier for us to say, oh, we're accepted, it's fine. We were worried about our people. We were up the bear now, those days they called it the bubble room. We saw a young, Indian, whether a couple or just a girl boyfriend, neatly dressed, handsome couple, came and sat down. They just ignored them, they just looked at them all. We couldn't take it anymore, so we left. The next morning, my wife was on the phone, called the governor. Well, Brian was manager then of the bear now, and he was a good friend of the governor. The governor just chewed his butt out, so he promised it'll never happen again, so it didn't happen. He didn't put a sign up, but the waiters and we and waiters were the ones that ignored the Indians. I guess they were instructed to do so. Hmm. So uh, <clears throat> we went, our bill was defeated on a tie vote. I uh, was promised by Named by the Smith from Anchorage, he was the key. I needed his vote, and he told me just as I walked with him up to the, the door of the chamber, 
it is a here it's our vote for it. it says, well, I was so tickled. That was a vote that was sweet. Uh, on the roll call vote, I told my friend that I would have win. He voted switched and killed it on a tie vote. You know who voted against us too? That those days. Who? Huh? Yeah. Bill Egan. Really? When he was yeah. in the he was in yeah. the house or he was in the house from uh, Valdez. He was just a young fellow. Next time around, though, he supported us. So. Hmm. I what don't know what against him. So. Right now, so you asked William Paul to to testify, and he, he what's that? You asked William Paul to testify, yeah, and he would on the move? phone, and he just asked, we're all, we're all right, we don't need to know. So uh, Walter was uh, like a magisterium officer. You don't need me. You and Elizabeth are doing fine. <laughs> well, anyway, he had he and I had it out the other day. And I told him point blank. I I wrote him that notice. Of him. I asked you to testify, but you told me be done. You just remember that. I've never never told anybody. I hate to you know open up old wounds. But anyway, uh. You couldn't get a foot in in that uh, hallway in the, in the legislative chambers, people. I didn't realize there was so much hatred against uh, Indians. Not only that, but that USO, the military was ordered uh, to prohibit the military people mingling with Indian girls, even if though you were leader. It's kind of foul. And all the letters on that. If if you're interested, you're stationed where? Uh, where are you stationed? Oh, I'm in Anchorage. But uh, well, maybe you can get a hold of my son. He, he fixed it up in uh, all the letters, things we did, you know, and trying to bring that about. Right now, did you said that you, he has donated one of those to the library here? Do you think the library here? One in Anchorage. Like maybe you want to read it sometime. Well, no, I think that maybe yeah. someday what we'll do is I'll I'll go through all of that and then I'm sure I'd have a bunch of questions after. Well, but uh, just ask uh, if you care to ask him if he has an extra. I don't know. Mm -hmm. He's he and his daughter are going to put it together. So did a beautiful job. I put it together myself. You know, I don't know how clumsy I am, but but uh, I saved some documents. Not everything. I lost some. We had a fire. Then when you move around like I do, and being an old bachelor, well, you you bound to miss something. But what I put together is what started the whole ball rolling again. But anyway, in '45 we had the bill reintroduced again, but this time the bill passed. So that's when my wife did a beautiful job right? in the in the Senate. They guessed wrong. I'm glad they did. They thought I would be the hard one to handle it, so. And that my wife would be easy because she got fooled. Right. So I was only asked a few questions and what they laid for her, so. I never forget Senator Shattuck asking him, Mr. Pradowitz, did you believe that a by the passage of this law that uh, discrimination will be eliminated from the minds of people. 
we had discussed that the night before. I was going to answer it. So we talked about all this capital punishment. With me. So uh, I held my breath and, boy, she hit it off. And Senators, I'm going to answer you by asking you a question. The fact that you have passed bills uh, making uh, a crime to kill someone, have a, a hanging and whatnot, I forgot the term she used. I says, do you think that uh, those laws erased the thought of burden from people's minds? <laughs> he, he just said, this. when she got through, I, I'll never forget, I get along something We went through a tough, tough time. Right. Well, I mean, that was a very neat. Once you got up, you got through. It wasn't the individual sitting, the senators, even those at the posters, gallery. Everybody was on their feet applauding. You never saw anything like it. Well, it was a major achievement, you know. I mean, particularly to do single-handedly, you know. She did it so beautifully, you know. She wasn't nasty, but she had an answer for everything. Yeah, they thought she'd be the easy woman. <laughs> well, of course, we're always underestimating women. That's our problem, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, that's how we got to uh, the thing I trying to tell people to that discrimination wasn't confined to South East. They tried to make it appear as a South East. But no, in the theater they had, they had an imaginary line down from the middle of the theater. Eskimos and minorities sat on one side, whites on the other. One Eskimo girl who had some school and decided to test that. She deliberately sat on the white man's side. Usher came and asked her to move, she refused. They asked her several times. Finally, two of them came, picked her up, and threw it off the street. That's a fact. Odie Cochran, who is not mentioned anywhere like that, he was an attorney. He knew all about that from Rome. When he spoke in favor of that bill, you could hear a pin drop. He was a wonderful orator. He recited all those things, how the Eskimos were treated. He and my wife were the ones that really put it over. So. Hmm. Now, did, how did, that was in 45 when it passed. Did things change then immediately, or did it take well, a while? To well, the signs were taken down. And I, one of the things I said is that uh, it's not the we want this. Uh, the grading signs down. We're not going to rush to these places where you don't want to be. We know where we enjoy ourselves. But we want to know that if we want to go there, we will go there. So, uh, and another, up at uh, Anchorage, they had a, right on the fourth avenue, there was a Greek that had a big restaurant. He had that big. Governor Green and gave him house and all that. You're a foreigner, <laughs> so why, you, why are you discriminated against? Eleven of our children got turned away from public schools. So. 
R. E. Robertson, you have heard of mm -hmm. an attorney. Mm -hmm. He was chairman of the board. I, we knew it was going to come in the school board was meeting. So I went up since I was grand president to testify. <laughs> Mind you, as I walked down the hallway, and the door was open where the meeting place is. He had the school board there. He looked up, saw me, he jumped, ran to the desert flag. Ran to the door about that far when he slammed it, so didn't, he didn't have to guess it, that I wasn't the one with it. This is back in the era when you were grand president? I was still grand president. And so the next day, the uh, headlines, I'm going to try to get a copy of that. I want to, a lot of our people don't realize. The headline was that chairman of the school board will resign rather than to be a member of a board that admits Indian children. Then he goes on on that to lower the standards, you know, the tough one. Well, ironically, what? One of the 11 students who got back became valedictorian of graduating <laughs> That's amazing. What what year would would that have been? Oh, in 40, must be 42, 43, something like that. So. Right. And that would have been in the, the Juno newspaper? That would have yeah, been well, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get A and B to hire somebody, you know. I, I get tired, I do. I, I, Oh, I feel fine. My health's all right, but uh, I have this arthritis, and I think I, I've devoted all my time to our people, and I'm, sometimes you get a little bit tired. I think we're trying to get them to hire some student and go through the you know, have libraries. You know, 42, 43, somewhere on that like that. Oh, this is uh, really amusing. I had to ask him if they were working for me up at Anchorage when I had an agency. I don't know if you remember who Miles Brandon is. Oh. You know, why he ever got that to us beyond me, you know. So we were sitting around in my office at, after luncheon of a petting bologna. It seemed to even be just, he's part of a third guy. What was if you folks in the A&B taught us nothing? You ought to order. You ought to order. <laughs> I just couldn't understand. So I told him, listen, and I was at the hand bit for the A&B, you poor Eskimos who had still been being shown out of theaters, just if you remember that. <laughs> well, it's true, and there wouldn't have been a land claim either, as near as I've been able to figure out, um, if it hadn't been for... You know, I was under pressure. The U.S. Marshal called me, and I knew him from Kensington. He says, "That's Mario and your wife, and what you're doing, but I hope it never backfires on you." So, what do you mean? He says, "When that bill passes, you're going to have to greet this influx of blacks in Alaska." And that's what happened. So, when we testified on that bill, that one black there was free or hunt and came forth. And then, for old Blanche tried to give credit to. Uh, Luther King, you know, correcting things in Alaska. Hell, we passed it way before Luther King even got out of his diapers, I think. But, and then, that's, what burns me up is this. Why did the white people go crazy to name something after Luther King? He did do a damn thing for us in Alaska. We did it ourselves. Yet, they didn't want to 
declare a full holiday on that day for somebody. I, I know it's going to cost a lot of money, but if it had been a black, they'd go crazy. So, but that's how that's why she got recognition. So. Well, you know, a lot of it I think is that very. Few, it's amazing how little history people really have up here about what happened. You know, um, yeah. these people are very ignorant about about a lot of these events. What What can you tell me about Frank Johnson? I know he and William Paul didn't get along either, right? Did no, they didn't because Frank was a, a student. He uh, was not too much on public speaking. He conveyed his something, but what I mean it is he lacked a little something. When you get him down behind a, a typewriter like Harry Wagner, that guy was forceful. He's smart. And he was forever catching William Paul off base on different things. So anyone that disagrees with William Paul, William Paul hates him. <laughs> right. Now you know, actually that's you know, I've I've read a lot of the original papers in the library and things and you know, I've never been able Based on the papers, to decide how I feel about William Paul, you know, I mean, do you, what's your view about whether he was dishonest and that kind of stuff? Well, I, he was disbarred, you know. Right, I, I've, I've read all of And Fulton yeah. was the guy that did it. Yeah, they had a lot of things on him, so he could have, could have been worse off. But he, uh, his son, Fred. Came up to see me when I was working for BIA. He wanted me to sign a statement that uh, to reinstate his father that he was a changed man. Although Fred and I are classmates, I Fred I won't do it. This is why your dad hasn't changed, isn't it? I like him, but darn if I'm going to put my name to it and say that he is corrected if he hasn't corrected. It. Well, it's sort of funny, you know, because he really does seem to have done over the years a lot of. He does seem to have done a lot of things over the years that really did help native people. And on the other hand, he sort of had this other part to him, you know. That was well, if he had handled it right, we would have been still carrying him on the pedestal. But he's a. Uh, I think this did I write you or talk to you about? They gave recognition or is that history teacher from. And I give them a lot of credit. Just two brothers. From the time they joined the NB, I think in 19, 20, 22 or 24, I think 22. They made the general public aware of the potential political power of the NB. At that time, it was sort of dormant. Nobody knew the potential there. But they made sure that the public became aware. Those days, uh, our Indian vote was a balance of power, so everybody went after it. In fact, those days, in some of the villages, he didn't have telegraphs or telephone. So, when it's a tight election, the papers always say, we're all waiting for the canoe vote <laughs> to come on in. So, no, I give them a lot of credit. They brought recognition to the NB. Not only that, but they were instrumental in starting us to learn about parliamentary procedure and preparing documents and so forth. You know, they've done a lot of good. I have to own discredit them on 
I disagreed with them on a lot of things, but that they did contribute. So. How about Andrew Hope? How <clears throat> Andrew Hope was a, a really deep-thinking and smart man. He, uh, he's, he was not the kind that would become heated up like William Paul. You know. I've seen him only once or twice get firm, but it was for a good reason. He was, uh, I shouldn't say smooth operator, but he, he knew how to handle people. He was smart, nobody could fool him. So I worked with Andrew for quite a while. So I know we were more or less, uh, I don't know, tribally, we were both eagles, and as such, he was my uncle. It's his cousin, Wanamaker, that adopted my wife. Mm. So under that, he used to call my wife his daughter to him, like I was right. Mentioning, so. No, he was he was a great man. The first time I heard him get mad was at 1937 convention at Wrangell. That was my first convention. That's when Louis was playing up mm -hmm. to me. You no, know, I I didn't know a darn thing. I just young young fellow. But uh Al Whitmark asked me that one time too. Well, how did I told this guy spilled me up? I had nothing to give. Mm. But they began to attack me and treat me like I know something. So, so they're the ones spilled me. I, I didn't. So I had nothing to offer. So, but uh, things got a little rough at that meeting. The William Paul gang was kind of ganging up on our side, you know. Andrew Hope got up. I never forget it. Listen, listen. If you fellows want to play rough, we'll play rough. <laughs> That's all he said. That put a stop to. Right, this is in '37. Hmm? This would have been the, the yes, 1937. Because I know there was a, I guess a big argument over how to implement the IRA. Yeah, '36 and '37. That was like wrangling it. So, some things developed there. I don't know what. But I was trying to stay out of it because I didn't know enough about it. And that Louis wanted me to be with his side and William. Of course, William had an angle like everything he did. He, he'd already committed himself to support Anthony Diamond for re-election, although William Paul was a Republican. It's a condition that Diamond support him as the first credit officer on the Indian drums. <laughs> so he was committed to right. Well, I guess he, he had that job for a while until he yeah, got disbarred. Right. Yeah, but he had it all screwed up. So. Right. He encouraged several organizations so they could fight one another. So. He did that at Slovak. He encouraged three organizations. He almost broke it up. But. Well, how about Lewis Paul? Was he... What was he like? Was he sort of in the shadows of William, or did he... Was no, he, he didn't have to take, stay in the shadow. He was just was an old man. He was polite. He'll disagree with you, but he's never nasty like William. William was nasty, so. But not Louis. I used to get a big kick out of the letters I used to write to the executive committee members. I, some idea I have, I, without making 
before I made moves, I'd write to this committee to see what they think of it. I used to get a big kick out of Lewis replies. They said, dear Roy, I said, sir, it's gone as long as it. you have lived plans, you've just about convinced me, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't get mad at him. You know? He was always polite with him. When did, when did he die? Do you recall when he passed away? When did he die? Mm -hmm. Lewis? I don't even remember. I was, where was I? See, I've been in and out and mm -hmm. off and on, so. Well, incidentally, when William Paul passed away in Seattle, the family called me. The, Walter Zobolov was our grand president, and he was going down to give the eulogy, but they didn't want him. They, they called me up and they wanted me to come down to give the eulogy. So, well, I made all sorts of excuses, but because it wouldn't look right for the grand president being with backed out, but they wanted me to come, so. <clears throat> we got to be pretty good friends towards last. Oh, we still disagreed, but he began to respect me a little bit in a few things, so. We were never, we never reached a point where we hated each other so much that we wouldn't even talk. We may have heated argument on the, I like that beautiful word, acrimonious. <laughs> Uh, during recess, we'd have coffee together. So. Well, of course, you clinkets are famous for that. <laughs> What's that? I said, you clinkets are famous for that. Yeah. <laughs> for yelling at each other and then having coffee. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you said, to, if you disagree, it's a privilege everybody has. You can't see we all agreed on everything, but you all try to change the same woman. Mm -hmm. So we all have different <laughs> tastes. <so. laughs> Well, um, do you have any other thoughts that, about the land claims movement or anything that I've sort of left out of the story? Mm -hmm. Do you have any other things that on your that come to mind about the land claims era that you think might be important? Well, to begin with, I'll go back a little bit. Uh, okay. One of the things that we disagreed on, too, was Bill said when it was made known that, of course, everybody knew the sons didn't have any money for it. Then he was trying to get the law changed, so unless you paid ten dollars ahead, you would never benefit. I argued on it, I other hand, to ten dollars if I gave it, you'd have to do voluntarily. You can't let force people. I got a bill in Washington when we talked about it. He needed my guts for that, but it's... Uh, well, a lot of our old people during that period of time uh, didn't have ten dollars. Ten dollars meant a pair of shoes for the kids or something. Uh. <laughs> so he tried to get that changed on your trip to Washington, or what? Yeah, he wanted that changed. So uh, and that would have made things a little easier for his sons who didn't have the money. So. Hmm. He, fella, he, he, he was a good artist. You, you know him, didn't you? Who? William Paul? Yeah. No, actually, he. I started getting involved actually a couple of years after his death. He died, oh. what, in the early 70s? He was, in my book, during that period of time, there were two men that I thought were outstanding artists. That was Greening and William Paul. 
what he told us to get the door to. But, uh, but you always have to watch his words. <laughs> and right. He, uh, he said, he gave one of the best talks, he says, and that John Freeman, old fellow I knew, was going to high school, Kent County. He's telling me he was a Democrat, but he was printing a little paper call. I forget what he called it, but it's John Free. He had a big uh, meeting at Redmond's Hall, Kids Can, with all the candidates, Republicans, Democrats, and uh, and the next few days he published everybody's speech but William Paul. So this John Frame was telling me he's an old fellow, but I, I was blessed in getting acquainted with old people. I used to sit and listen to them, you know, tell me all the things. I, <laughs> William Paul came up to see him the next day after the pu publication. He said, he's mad as all get out. I said, John, I said, what else the matter with you? I said, I gave the best speech, but you, you didn't print it. You printed everybody else but mine. Everybody says I did an outstanding job, and John Francis, Bill says, I know. I said, you did a good job. That's a good speech, but you know what? She says, I ran out of capital I's. Well, <laughs> 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 John Freeman used to laugh about it. <laughs> hmm. William Pye had to live <coughs> The day when William Paul asked me twice to nominate me for grand president, <laughs> he hated my guts, but he he came up to me and I'd like to nominate you. So, so. Mm. I've already been asked by others, so it's a free country. Go ahead. So but somebody's always on their feet before you. All in all, it was disappointments I've had. I have, still have disappointments now. <coughs> problem I'm having now, not a, a problem that bothers me is that some of the men that around my age, they had an opportunity to do something for our people, didn't do anything. Now in their ripe old age, they want to be noted for something and you always see some of the things they're trying to claim, you know. I never, never in my life have ever gone out to ask. Some of them ask people to recommend them for something. <laughs> I've never asked them to be recommend. They give me recognition, fine. I don't ask for it. People don't do all minds. Is he deserving of it? Well, you don't have to tell them or ask him. I have a couple that I have no problem. Why do they do that? What? In my own mind. The biggest satisfaction that I, I'm enjoying is that a good Lord has helped me to help our people to, 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 to some extent. That's a big satisfaction to know that our people have gained this and that. You can't beat it. I don't care about dollars or anything. You see our people happy. You can't beat it. Right. Well, how do you? What do you think of how the Claims Act has gone? Then? Do you think uh, it's worked out okay in the end, or do you think there are problems, or what? I'm a little bit afraid of it, so I uh, 
I just, I, I just, you know. And the thing that bothers me is that we're going to lose all those limbs. But I was still superintendent there, but uh, Anchorage, when they first started, I recommended to some of the leaders, when you folks start getting this money by, by the regions, depending on how much you folks receive, why don't you folks start off by putting 200000 from each region to a pot? Just let it draw interest that at the time when we get our lands, if we don't have the funds to pay for our tax, we are going to be taxed. We can draw on that. So. Roger Lang, who profile passed away, disliked me because I... You're not going to sit here and try to figure out where I stand. I'm going to leave my cards on the table, so I've always dealt that with. So. It doesn't make you many friends, but it's at least people know. Well, he, he started telling some of the leaders, pay no attention to him as a teacher. BIA oriented. <laughs> he didn't know I'm the only BIA employee got fired for an hour one time, got suspended for <laughs> two two weeks without pay. The moral of that one is never tell a commissioner go to hell. <laughs> Right. Hey, actually, that reminds me. When when you were when you took your job in uh, in 1946, were there other natives working at the BIA and those kinds of? Very places? few. We uh, we had just a few there. So uh, I'm not saying I brought them in, right. but uh, it seems to have kind of opened up the door. So I've never heard of Indians being turned down. I it may have been. I I don't know. I can only tell you from what I observed from the time I got in. Uh, one advantage uh, the BIA had, they could, whether they used it then, but they I used it, I know, after I was in there, that uh, right in your uh, Indian Resort, Indian Organization Act, there's, and you still remember Section 12, mm -hmm. It uh, permits uh, the Bureau to hire any Indian applicant for any position that they can meet the minimum requirement without civil service test. You'd be surprised how many people follow it. But the individual has to show that they meet the minimum requirement. I used that as superintendent, but with this condition, calling the girls or boys, being hired under Indian preference, no disgrace, except that you'll be, you have met the minimum requirements. But just as you're going to be stuck here unless you prepare yourself for civil service, and you can go any place you want. I figured that was that was a start. Give them a training test. You know, a lot of people I know, I'm like Twitter. I may know all the, some of the answers, but if you give me a piece of paper and pencil, close the door, and I'm lost. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think, jeez, uh, I can't think of any more questions that I have. Um, I, actually, well, can you tell me a little bit more about Ernest Greening? I mean, I know he. Ernest Greening, I mean, he was very obviously in favor of the anti-discrimination thing. What was his attitude about it? He supported us all the way. 
Right. What about what about land claims and reservations? Uh, reservations, he was against. Now I'm not too sure about land claims. I don't know where it stood. Of course, at the time it uh, uh, it wasn't so pronounced. You know, uh, the reservation was then. It's right under that uh, Indian Reserve Organization. Well, the first act, you know, the same act was called Wheeler Howard. You know. Right. <clears throat> Another thing that bothers me now, too, you know, you're an attorney. There's a lot of people. I talked to my son, he said the tribal operations. He said, we ought to correct them. Everybody now that talks about the Indian Reorganization says, the 1934 Act will admit. We don't come under 1934. 36. We have the Alaska Amendment, right. 1936. There are certain sections of the 1934 Act that was omitted from 36. As I recall, there's a 16 and 17 it's a sections, I think. It's been a long time. I'm testing my memory now. No, that's pretty close. So that's I, what happened. So, uh, uh, but it always bothers me. We're going to amend the 34 Act. We're not under it. We're not under it. And that's even called the Alaska Amendment. So. What, what about Bartlett? Did he was was Bartlett uh, in favor of land claims or or what was Bartlett was a real politician, so I never could figure out where he stood. He, uh, of course, the Greening tried to dominate him, you know. So I don't know. I really can't say for sure. He was a very uh, attentive person though, when you talk to him about Alaska matters. Cause and Indian matters. So based on that, I'd say that he, he wasn't against it. So hmm. anything that could help our people. Okay, so they, he wasn't a problem then. No. Okay. okay. Well, actually, I think that pretty well does it. I'm sort of out of questions. Um, well, if you think of any, I it's been my life. Like I say, I I've enjoyed it, and now that. Uh, uh, this professor is uh, writing up stuff about the history of the A&B, you know. Mm -hmm. I spent time with him. We were at my apartment here last Sunday, he and his wife. Is this Haycox or who's? Yeah. Right. How do you pronounce it? Haycox? Yeah. Uh, well, right. I, I, I chewed his butt out, you know, the first letter he wrote, you remember? For the first thing that the A&B was... Uh, oh, I read that in the paper, yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> I you told him, come on down there, we'll give him a liberal education. So he was real nice. He wrote me a good letter after that. He, uh, right, no, I I thought that was a pretty good letter. I read that <laughs> in the paper. And <laughs> thought he got yeah, said, <clears throat> He's a typical cheat talk. I think I said that he's perhaps now getting ready to write a book on Alaska. <laughs> that, uh, I, uh, I like to keep the record straight on the A&B. There are too many. Oh, we did this with it. Uh, you know. If I wasn't there, and no, I don't know it, I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to just say, oh, this is what happened. How? Uh, and if it's hearsay, I'll tell you. Like quite often, I'll tell people I wasn't at the 1929 convention, but I got the information from Andrew Hope, William Paul, and Joseph. Well, I enjoyed this. Okay, well, no, I very much appreciate it. I certainly have learned a lot. Well, if you have any questions, so I, it's, uh, yeah, maybe some things I 
I forgot to mention, but it's so. Uh, okay, well, I was uh, particularly. Oh, no, that's the only thing that bothers me. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. That bothers me is that what is going to happen to our land after, after the 1991 summer? Sure, they're doing. <coughs> the thing that always bothers me, too, is this. Too many of our leaders are dreaming that we can place our land into restricted status. It's going to have to take act of Congress. So. Well, you know, you see, we did, um, as part of the 1991 it's amendments, in there, right? right what, well, what's in there, and this is the, the good thing is, is that so long as the land remains undeveloped, so long as people just use it to hunt and fish on and pick berries and and the kinds of things for subsistence, right? Yeah. That kind of stuff. The land, but, but, but beyond that, right? But it, so so long as it's used for that, even past 1991, now Congress has said that it can't be taxed and people can't lose it. And so everybody, I mean, we put a lot of work into getting Congress to do that. The trouble is, in the way that people like Heidelberg and others have gotten in, in trouble yeah. down here, is that that does not apply if you either mortgage your land or if you develop your land, like starting to cut trees on it and stuff like that. And if and if the villages go out and do that, I mean that's what that's how Heidelberg got in trouble. You know, they went out and they, they borrowed money and they put their land up as collateral and then they started cutting all these trees and it was a bad business situation and they almost lost all that land, you know. And unfortunately that was not something that we could get Congress to take care of, you know. And that's the major way that's left, that in the years ahead, that it's possible for people to lose Well, the that's land. going to be different than from the uh, uh, Rangel Convention. We met for two nights at Slovak. There was a poll faction strong, you know, they wanted the boys, but those of us were against. But the first night we met till midnight, you know, in a small village at Slovak, staying up till midnight, that's just uncalled for anyone. Second night, we're going on the way up to midnight again, still with no agreement. One of my uncles, John Scan, finally got up. He, said, he generally is a hot-headed person, but this time he's very calm. He says, I, I was here last night with you folks till midnight. The hall was packed, and everybody's interested in the landline. I says, no, we didn't do anything. Tonight, we're nearing the midnight again. And you folks haven't decided as to who you want as attorney. I'll tell you, attorney, you folks should contact. He's a good attorney and he's a good Indian friend. I said, he knows the law real good and I know he'll help us. I said, but you folks ought to go call on him. I said, his name is Judge Wickersham. So one of the older guys got up and I said, we all know that Wickersham was our friend, was our friend and a good attorney, but he died four years ago. <laughs>